so please bear with us. Recording. Awesome. Okay. So very first thing we wanted to put mention out there is what's happening right now with the coronavirus. Um, obviously, this is something that has been in the news every day. Um, this article I just have on my screen just came out from Forbes, uh, talking about the Hong Kong visitors plunging 99% in February. Um, obviously, you know, we do exist in a global economy. So the ramifications of this you're starting to see, um, you know, in it was in a, I can't remember Barcelona, but Mobile World Congress had canceled. You're starting to see companies like Apple and others uh, talk about their revenue shares starting to slow down. Um, so just to make mention of how large this is facing our industry, obviously with a globalized economy is travel and tourism is a main center part of it. So I'm expecting to see continual art articles and stats and points as it relates to this, especially as we start getting into um, you know, our I-94 data, our visitation data, particularly destinations that are heavily dependent upon um, uh, the, chi uh, the Chinese visitor and things like that, um, to start expecting more and more of this. So uh, I'd just like to add in on a little bit, Andreas. There's some great articles in the New York Times uh, regarding Chinese visitation in Europe, particularly Paris. Uh, that article was a, a day or two old. Um, but other articles have mentioned uh, the lingering effects of the coronavirus into the summer season uh, and particularly their impact on the Tokyo Olympic Games. Yeah, uh, this absolutely. Summer in August. So we'll see what effect that has uh, in Japan or the, um, uh, I think there's a World's Fair in the Middle East in Dubai this year as well. Um, and then many of you on the call, or I shouldn't say many, but there are a few. I know of uh, Deb Archer and uh, Madison and, and Jane Duluth and uh, uh, Champagne Urbana, uh, Chinese students that attend uh, American universities and colleges, as well as um, destinations in Canada, Chinese students that attend uh, Canadian universities and colleges. We'll see how the uh, travel restrictions will affect those folks. Uh, coming this fall. Yes, cool. absolutely. So uh, next is get into our first uh, sort of articles we sort of flagged for to, to, to look at this, uh, this coming call. So the very first one is actually talking about Travel Oregon. So this popped up on our radar of one of the stuff that we scan and search the web for as it relates to an audit in terms of compensation. Um, now really the purposes of this call today is not to, to, to go into the audit or that sort of stuff. It's actually to go into an article that appeared relating to them about a week prior. Um, and that was related to basically a tax subsidy as it relates to um, tourism related on sports tourism in particular. Um, so what they're looking to do is actually increase basically uh, tourism related taxes for basically a revenue stream for uh, Oregon itself. Um, and there's a particular, and the point of this matter is, is to really showcase sort of the, the paradigm shift happening where people, you know, are starting to see this larger and larger and larger pot of money potentially growing for some destination relations as it relates to public money. Um, and there's a particular quote from this article I wanted to call out that kind of showcases that, where it just says, sort of the discontentment that's happening. I don't think this is something that people of Oregon necessarily signed up for to have their tax dollars used for. And then the very end of it, the bookend, I think Travel Oregon is sitting on a substantial amount of money. Um, now, obviously, all of you on the call are destination organization individuals understand the nuances that it relates to tourism funding in particular. Uh, but just to kind of show sort of the paradigm shift happening where, 
we live in a time where there are issues and crises that we're facing related to affordable housing, transportation, infrastructure, opioid crisis, that kind of stuff. And people are starting to see this as a way to reach across and grab this type of money for it. Um, and again that, again, that sets you up for an article like this, um, where it was a, a regular audit they had looking into basically um, you know, the salaries and compensation of staff. Um, basically saying there was no SP for why individuals were paid what they were um, and, and, and to affirm items like that as it relates to. Um, I do quick plug, if you're not aware, if you're a destination organization and a member of us, which you all should be, uh, we do have a compensation and benefits reporting platform. Um, it is free to you as a member as long as you participate. Uh, so I just want to do a quick sort of um, uh, pass for that. So, um, so in sticking with sort of uh, audits, we wanted to actually now hop over to Meet Minneapolis. This article came up at, toward the end of the year. Uh, so those who weren't aware, uh, Meet Minneapolis had a uh, not so positive audit about two years ago relating to how they measured um, the economic impact of their events. Um, but they uh, passed through, went through their audit and actually ended up, or now came through the other side um, following all the lines of improvement of the articles and aspects of transparency. Um, and actually now got a additional 20 million of supplement in it. So I want to compliment uh, Melvin in particular and their team for going through what they went through as it relates uh, to that. Um, I know a lot of us sort of have a, a general fear of, you know, when an audit comes, but that's, as you probably heard Jack mention a lot of times, that's just good government practice and no government official is ever going to turn down to say you shouldn't do an audit um, in that capacity. So, okay. So, You've heard us and Jack and I talking a lot about sort of the four core things that worry us as a, as a sector of where stuff is starting to change. You know, a lot of times some of it is, you know, unwelcoming legislation, things like that that seem that are outside of control. But a lot of times there are fiduciary measures that we can do um, that we are our own self are failing. And a lot of times people think maybe it is like a bad audit um, or it's bad expenditures or just not doing due diligence as it relates to accounting. Um, but we wanted to highlight this particular story. So this is from Visit Walla Walla um, in Washington State. And so what ended up happening was, um, as part of being a 501c6 or even a c 3 any nonprofit, you were required to submit your documentation to the IRS to prove that you're an IR, uh, a non valid nonprofit within three years. Um, so for, for whatever which reason, we don't quite know yet, but uh, no individual at Visit Walla Walla uh, or the board submitted documentation to continue to be a nonprofit. Um, so as part of that, um, uh, their president, Ron, uh, Ron Williamson, was asked to uh, basically resign as part of it. But I just kind of want to showcase that we sometimes see the bigger articles that relates to, you know, bad spending and things like that. But sometimes it's just being accountable for simple things as maintaining that you are supposed to be a uh, nonprofit. So I want to put Matt, because this is actually Matt Ozuna's hometown, so I just wanted them to speak briefly on it. Yeah, that's, I have an affinity for Eastern Washington and, and Walla Walla Wine. Um, but yeah, this was also uh, this was a, a surprise and also a disappointment. Um, it's uh, very much uh, Republican country. Um, I work for two uh, elected officials in Walla Walla County, and I was kind of surprised. I, I mentioned this to Jack and Andreas. We kind of tried to see if there was any kind of um, any kind of signs that could have uh, prevented uh, this kind of debacle in the press and for the president and CEO. And there really wasn't. Um, 
there the press coverage when and uh, where um, articles came up were usually positive. Uh, political chatter from elected officials at the, the city level and the county level and the state level. Um, you know, they're dominated by Republicans, um, but they're they weren't so they weren't as vicious as we've seen in the, uh, say Florida, perhaps. Yeah, the absolutely. Republicans down there that are have more of a libertarian bent. Uh, small government, anti-tax, uh, want to do away with tourism or destination promotion entirely. That was not the case in Walla Walla. So I was kind of surprised when when uh, this news hit that there weren't any elected officials that kind of said, well, you know what, it's been uh, so poorly mismanaged, let's do away with uh, the entire tourism office and privatize it like we've seen in other places. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, California, what was another one? That was Eureka, California. Eureka, California. There's a few others. Um, so that has not happened here in Walla Walla. So we haven't seen any uh, angry letters to the editors. We haven't seen um, any elected officials uh, tweets or posts on Facebook. Um, their, uh, their, their misfeelings about tourism or, or wanting to divert uh, funding elsewhere. So that's the good news in all of this. Like Andrea said, the bad news is this was totally avoidable. Yeah. Um, through you know, proper paperwork or uh, accountability measures. Um, this should have been caught. I know uh, you'll have all this information after the call, folks. I pay close attention to the second to the last paragraph in the article. The the UB, the Union Bulletin in Walla Walla, the, I thought the article, the reporting itself was pretty fair and balanced. Uh, so you can't knock the press uh, like in other publications across the country that we track. Um, but it's a, it's a good read. It's a, it's a good lesson to learn. Um, uh, like I said, uh, the political chatter chatter was minimal. It came out of left field, and it and it was a was a shame. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the last paragraph was quote very telling. We don't have any concern at this moment about our ability to represent Walla Walla as a premier destination or deliver on any of these promises we've made. Yeah. So hopping over to our next one, a couple states over. Uh, we will talk about the governor of Wyoming, who's basically supporting an increase into lodging tax to make Wyoming competitive with other states. Um, obviously, we've. All of us know that an investment in tourism is an investment in competing at the world stage. So at the onset, this is a very positive thing out into the world. But I want to let Matt to walk through sort of what parts, the intricacies of this um, that actually have some things that keep us, that do concern us about it. Sure, yeah. Um, this actually goes back to 2017 in November when a special commission was formed to kind of figure out where uh, the state can um, generate more tax revenue. Uh, in the midst of uh, declining oil, national, uh, natural gas, and uh, uh, mining revenue. And so it actually started then, uh, picked up some steam in 18, and in 19, this, uh, this piece of legislation almost passed. It passed the House, uh, but when it reached the more conservative Senate, it died um, on the Senate floor. I think the vote was uh, 17 to 19, um, with uh, I think four senators actually sitting out uh, due to a conflict of interest. There was some other kind of um, political negotiating before the final vote took place. A few uh, senators switched their vote. Um, but this year, uh, the governor, a Republican of uh, Wyoming, was very much in for the statewide 5% uh, tax on hotel stays. Um, it will, and it just passed the House. That's the good news. Uh, I think yesterday or on on Friday. Um, but now it heads to the more conservative Senate. Again, it will be a close vote. Um, dom the state is dominated by Republicans. Some 
small government, anti-tax Republicans. Um, so that, so what, what keeps us up at night is the thought that this wouldn't get passed after yeah. after years of trying to to kind of get it through with uh, to the governor's desk and with his signature. Um, it's it's still a little early. Uh, I haven't seen any political chatter that would uh, say otherwise. Kind of like the I don't see the amount of political uh, chatter or the viciousness of political uh, chatter that we've seen in uh, Florida, for instance. Yeah. Um, so fingers crossed. Uh, we're hoping this works out. Again, with this legislation, 5% um, hotel tax, 3% goes to the state uh, state office, destination promotion for the entire state. The remaining 2% actually goes back to local counties for their own destination promotion. Um, and then uh, those same counties have the ability to vote for an extra 2% on top of that. So an extra two percent that that would would then stay in the in the counties to kind of promote uh, uh, destination promotion for tourism for those specific counties. Um, I'm thinking of the counties like a Teton County is a very popular destination. So four uh, percent total for the county and then five or excuse me three for the state. So this is a, a win-win uh, for elected officials and for the tourism industry and I, and I guess for the people. Of Wyoming. Anything else you'd like to add with that, Andre? No, I mean just the, you know, the, the rallying guy that we always say that you know you are competing at the world stage, and failure to do that means you will fall behind. It's not just procurement of you know of, of visitors and that kind of stuff. It's procurement of talent. You know, it's procurement of your brand being out there to uh, get people to move to your destination to live there. Um, so like I said it's, it's this language, and we're going to definitely follow to see how it shakes out. Yeah, speaking of that, Wyoming's in competition with other Western states, uh, other national parks and other uh, uh, tourism attractions. Uh, I think the state office is, is about, their budget is about $12 million with this 5% tax, um, three of which, 3% would go to destination marketing for the state. I think that would kind of yield a, an increase in $13 million uh, annually. Um, so that that's really good for for Wyoming and its tourism uh, visitation numbers have kind of steadily been rising uh, year over year. So good news, hopefully. Yeah, absolutely. So this next segment, even though it's not Monday, we're going to we're going to call it Moratorium Monday. So um, all the way on our side of the East Coast uh, in New Hampshire, we want to pull up a couple of articles as it relates to uh, a moratorium. So it actually starts off uh, the beginning of this year about the hotel boom that's happening in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Um, so again, it talks about the booming tourism industry, in particular as it relates to overnights, you know, the term heads and beds more or less, um, is happening. It. Now, that in itself is, is a very, very positive thing. What the article now I'm about to show you is sort of showing one of the things that does keep us up at night is then moratoriums. So what had happened was basically Portsmouth has the uh, authority to basically put moratoriums for any type of buildings being developed in their destination if they feel there are certain aspects where they are reaching capacity. Now, capacity can mean infrastructure, like sewer, water, electricity, gas, things like that. Um, it can mean housing. It can mean infrastructure, any one of those things of it. Um, what's interesting is the sentiment underlining the article is the, the term, you know, a, a basically not necessarily over tourism, but basically a destination development issue. Um, where people are to say, you know what, I feel like maybe we're becoming overdeveloped here or we are losing our brand and that sort of stuff. 
Um, now, moratoriums itself, you know, cause us concern. We've seen it most notably most recently in Asheville, North Carolina. But then you're starting to see this sentiment now flip towards against us. So this was obviously one that came, uh, was the editorial to it, but you can start to see here where you're starting to see residents and citizens starting to raise their voice about, do we really need this much more, um, this many more hotels and hotel rooms and things of that transient nature. Um, so just kind of wanted to showcase the timeline of how you can go from something like this um, to then something uh, like this. So finally, we wanted to end on this article that came out as it relates to um, from from the ADL that talked about sort of uh, hate speech that had really came on the rise in 2019. Um, you really, when you talk about the paradigm shift that's happened to us politically, we do live in a very emotional and illogical time that it seems like for a lot of us. Um, and so one of the things we wanted to, to really focus on for this is that desegerizations, you know, you might see that this is something that might not directly affect you, but it is something that is happening all around that it might, if it doesn't affect you directly, it is certainly happening to us indirectly. Um, one of the things that ADL did put together was actually a heat map where they discuss and show, um, I'm sorry, I'm up a little bit, basically all incidents as it relates to hate, extremism, anti-Semitism, and, and terrorism. Um, uh, and, you know, this goes into the current climate everywhere from, you know, from Confederate statues to what happened in, in, in Christchurch, New Zealand, and things like that. Um, sadly, you can see how large and uh, just the small minutia as it relates to these events across the, the United States and the world. Um, but wanted to sort of share these resources there with you all because we think this is something that absolutely every destination organization should be paying attention to, that this is something that is uh, seemingly happening on the rise. And from our own uh, research that we do, uh, we've shared this similarly where we've seen, this is from this past year of political mentions that relates to hate groups and hate speech. Um, in particular, when you look at uh, August uh, through December, this is both from the um, El Paso, Texas shooting, and then again in Christers, uh, both regard, you know, regarding around uh, uh, white supremacy and issues of the matter. So, and yeah, you showed the uh, the line graph, Andreas, the spikes that you mentioned. Yeah, yeah, um, I believe that was March in in New Zealand, Christchurch, New Zealand, and then in August of last year, uh, El Paso, Texas, the Walmart shooting. Um, this popped up on our media radar uh, a few days ago. Uh, we track these uh, these terms, hate groups. KKK, white supremacy, Confederate statues and monuments in the media as well in politics. Um, and this uh, brought us to the Anti-Defamation League's website and a great blog post that showcased the um, instances of these events last year and in 2018. Now, I, what I did, I wanted to see if there was any kind of parallel in Quorum, our political database, that tracks political chatter, legislation, things of that nature, and guess what? There was. Instead of a 100% increase, or more than 100% increase, as I think what um, the Anti-Defamation League points out, I found a 64% increase year over year um, in uh, political, in, in the search terms such as white supremacy, KKK, uh, um, uh, Ku Klux Klan, uh, Confederate monuments and statues, things of that nature. So it is on the rise. I was going to uh, share a timeline with you in the last decade, from about 
2020 up until, or excuse me, 2010 up until now. Um, however, our uh, political database quorum is actually going through maintenance right now, so uh, I can't show you that. I'll try to give that uh, to you folks after this. But essentially what uh, Andres and I are, are trying to get at here is every destination needs to be prepared. Sometimes these, um, I think, how does, what was, what was the term that we've used? Uh, hot topic politics, flashpoint yeah, politics flashpoint that Jack referenced in the past. Uh, Charlottesville, Virginia comes to mind. We were also tracking um, a rally in Dayton, Ohio this year, or excuse me, last year. Um, there was a lot of press in Dayton, Ohio uh, around that rally. Uh, I think it happened in the late spring, early summer. And then there was a shooting in, uh, in Dayton, Ohio, I think sometime this summer where eight people were killed. So again, it doesn't help with the destination's image or brand, um, but it is important to, for destinations to be prepared and to have some kind of crisis management plan. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, absolutely. So, um, so that, that's our last um, key link we wanted to showcase this. I'm gonna pause here and look at the chat. So. If any uh, of you members out there actually had a question or whatnot, um, you please feel free to type it in and put it in and we'll review them and we can hopefully answer them and also um, allow you to, to also unmute you too if you ever want to ask us directly. Chat here real quick. I guess really quickly, just to mention up on the map too, and going into 2020 folks, this is an election year. I would assume uh, that we might see more uh, white supremacy, uh, propaganda in battleground states such as Michigan or um, Pennsylvania. According to the, the heat map, those states, Pennsylvania, um, Kentucky even, even though that's not really a, a battleground state, those states kind of saw the, the most um, instances of uh, white nationalist propaganda. So I'd pay close attention to those uh, certain states and, and destinations. Uh, it also, in the blog post from the uh, Anti-Defamation League, uh, you'll notice that 40%, I think it was 40% or the quarter, uh, I'll have to double check, uh, a lot of these um, these events happen on college campuses. So destinations with uh, colleges and universities, be on the lookout for that as well. So um, looking at a chat log, I don't see any questions, so we will uh, conclude this and finish the record. Oh, never mind, there it comes. So, first question um, from, uh, oh, actually, we have a couple questions. Okay, so let's do this first. So, I got a note from Jack Wirt. So Jack, I'm going to unmute you uh, to let you talk a little briefly about Florida. Jack, let's find you on the list here. There we go. Okay. On you. There, there we are. Can you there hear me now? Okay. Yeah, we can hear you, Jack. All right, great. Um, so it's no surprise, I'm sure, to anybody that our issues with our legislature continue. And uh, we're halfway through the, the session this year, and 
We're a little closer. The, our, our Senate is uh, clearly behind renewing, um, reauthorizing Visit Florida. Governors asked for eight years. I think we'll end up with four, perhaps, um, and uh, funding about the same, a little over 50,000 uh, uh, or 50 million that we had a year ago. Um, it is uh, troubling, though, that a new one popped up today, and this is uh, this situation is specific to. There was a piece of legislation that was done a couple of years ago, a change, expansion, really, of tourist development tax uses here in the state, and it was for some infrastructure projects. Um, and lots of ways to get around it, a lot of things, a lot of hoops to jump through and so forth. This new thing they've just come up with is basically any um, county commission can use tourist development tax and divert it for any um, water related project. And it's, you know, we've, we've had some issue, water issues with red tide and blue green algae and that kind of stuff. Um, and if this happened, it, it wouldn't matter what, whether it's a new sewer plant, uh, drainage ditch cleaning, all of that kind of stuff that has virtually nothing to do with tourism, tourist tax revenue could be used for that. And this one really scares us. So uh, if we lose Visit Florida and lose our funding to, to sewer projects, we're really in a duck soup, I guess. So I just wanted to alert uh, uh, Destinations International, that's popping up. We continue to, to be texting and tweeting to, to legislators uh, virtually every day, sometimes multiple times a day. Um, it, we just don't seem to be getting through. And uh, I will tell you one final quick thing is, I just heard this morning that a candidate for mayor of the city of Naples, number one city in, in our area for tourism, a uh, mayoral candidate uh, is uh, got up and just started spewing all this stuff about this horrible waste of taxpayer dollars to promote Florida and everybody's coming to Florida anyway. We shouldn't be doing this at all. And uh, we ought to disband the Tourism Bureau and, and uh, uh, stop this nonsense. So I've got a lot of work to do <laughs> in my own city. So that's kind of an update of what's going on here in Florida. Thank you, Jack, for sharing. Yeah, we. Um... I, I, I hate to say it, but Florida oracles pop up on our radar pretty routinely. So we could have spent the entire hour discussing it, but I actually, I think I think one of the things we love about this committee is hearing from uh, individuals like yourself um, uh, for that sort of stuff. And we thank you so much for um, hearing that. Um, I did want to put a call out. One of the questions that came on the chat um, was actually came from. Uh, 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 Blaine Rockcamp was asking, does anyone have a crisis communications plan in place that deals with uh, white supremacist events, hate events, and things like that that they can share? Um, if anyone on the call does is something they have or have seen, uh, please feel free to send it to, to us here at Destination International, and we will uh, get them included as part of the notes of the show and distribute it out to everyone. Um, we ourselves, uh, the church does not have a um, toolkit as it relates to those particular type of events, but it's something that we should consider as we're working towards um, everything as it relates to our uh, advocacy workbook and crisis communications, because certainly Flashpoint in particular is something that 
um, is our destinations are facing uh, more and more and more. Um, my own, you know, hometown, former alma mater, visit uh, Baltimore, just dealt with that recently when, you know, Trump just put a tweet out of nowhere in the middle of the summer about, uh, you know, all the rat infested and that sort of stuff is. So um, there are case studies out there that have destinations that have tried to do the best to combat them. But uh, if anyone has a particular resource to it, we will certainly focus that and put that into the show notes. Andres, wasn't, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't, wasn't there um, conversations last year, maybe uh, amongst uh, Mara Gass and maybe some other folks about um, uh, white nationalists or hate groups or unfriendly groups wanting to use convention space and how can CBBs can kind of decline or have to accept those? Yeah, yeah, we've seen we've seen destinations that have had to combat that where those type of groups are going through um, the, the the proper channels for yeah. procurement of permitting and uh, in some cases trying to use a CBB to book their event and book their group um, as it relates to that. So no, it's certainly an issue that a lot of our destinations are you know potentially going to be facing or like I said takes a flashpoint uh, to their senses. Yeah. So, um, let's see what else in the chat log. Um, Bill, guys, great comment. Um, that is something that we will add to the list. We do track those as it relates to tourism improvement districts, and um, in particular the two that you mentioned, Tulsa uh, and Tampa, we do track. And um, I think it's a great point. It's something we will add to the show to kind to uh, to bring up for it. Uh, I see Maura is on there. I'm going to unmute you because I see you put a comment on there. So. Oh, you know what, Mara, I don't think you're on the phone. I just see you as video. Okay. Nope. Mara, it looks like I don't know if you're on with your phone or whatnot, but it doesn't show you as having an active mic, so I can't. Um, Okay. Maura, are you there? I'm here. Oh, oh wonderful. Thank you. Does she know that we use that in our stuff? Oh. All the time. Everybody does. Um, Maura, I, I saw your comment on the chat log. I wanted you to um, just talk about. Yeah, just as a publicly owned venue, whether it's a park space or a convention center or an arena or whatever, if it's publicly owned, we don't have the right to legally deny the use for any legal gathering purpose. So here in Texas, I have to permit a marijuana growers convention, but I am allowed to not permit a marijuana samplers convention. So with some of these hate groups, we cannot deny their legal right to gather, but we can put in place security requirements that make on the organizers of books on their responsibility to make sure that the rest of the community is kept safe or not harmed from the activity. Thank you for sharing. Okay, so I went back to start meeting one. So um, again, we wanted to appreciate everyone who participated on this call and, and chimed in for it. So this is the largest committee that the Trade Association certainly manages and, and handles. And we really appreciate everyone's input and commitment towards this. Um, so what we're going to do, I'm going to
pause the recording of it, what you'll see is I will get this uploaded to a, a YouTube. And basically then we will then reshare, uh, add to the calendar request, uh, the YouTube link with the show notes as it relates to any graphs and articles we reference here. So that if you ever want to catch up, you can simply go to your calendar and see all the past instances of this. Um, so again, one of the things we wanted to do was do a, a monthly call that relates to destinations who speak about issues in theirs. Uh, I actually might now, I'm considering reaching back out to Jack Ward to, to lead that for next month. Um, but really just sort of focus to go around the room uh, in, in, a, in a digital world about just simply talking about what's happening in your destination. So um, if any of you on the onset just want to simply volunteer as parts of it, um, you know, please feel free to get in charge of myself, Matt, or Annie. Uh, or else we, be, we, we will be reaching out to you individually to see if anyone wants to potentially share a particular thing for your destination, uh, similar to what we uh, just heard Jack did. So, Can I add more thing. quickly, Andreas? Yeah, and if, um, I would love to help anyone that uh, reaches out to myself, Andreas, or Jack to kind of showcase their destination in the next um, What Keeps Us Up at Night. I'll be happy to do any kind of political uh, tracking, uh, political chatter, monitoring, media monitoring, tracking to help you better tell your story or present your destination uh, so we can find any trends or synergies in the political space, in the media space, uh, and uh, how we can uh, best share it with others and, and learn some lessons. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, thank you, everyone. We appreciate you for joining, and we will talk to you on the next one. Have a great rest of your day.